rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome to episode three of Rumors of Grace. I am sitting here with my good friend, Mike Schatz, in his office at 5 by 5 Agency in Brentwood, Tennessee. Hello, Mike. How are you? Bob, I'm well. Thank you. Great. It's great to have you. I've been looking forward to this for, for quite a while. Uh, before we begin and launch into your story, um, I mentioned your office, 5 by 5 Tell us a little bit about what you do and and what, what is 5 by 5 Yeah, 5 by 5 is a full-service marketing agency. Um, we serve what we call change makers, people that are doing good around the world. Uh, we, we consider them, we coin them double bottom liners, people that have to make money and should be proud that they need to make money, keep the lights on, pay their people, do well. But also that that is not their true measurement. Their true measurement is also having some kind of impact, positive impact. Sometimes in the Christian world, that's kingdom impact, they call it. And sometimes it's a sports group that just wants to help kids mm. play ball better and um, they're impacting lives. So sometimes it's for profit for good businesses that are trying to do They have someone that says, hey, I've, I've got a good business, but I also want to do good social good in the world. And those are our kind of people. It doesn't mean we work exclusively with them, but I'd say 90 percent of our customers are in that zone. And we That's love, great. love serving them. Yeah. That's great. So five by five. When did you start the company? It's been about five years, okay. and we've been very fortunate. We just, um, you know, my story, my story a little bit, but it's been fun to start a company. We bootstrapped it. Three of us, my business partners, uh, Shannon Litton and Josh uh, Miller, started this with two other people. We're the owners, but we had two other people started with us. Took a risk and uh, got our first client, and we haven't looked back since then. Now we're up to thirty-seven employees, I think. You asked me that earlier. I think it's 37 or 38, somewhere in that zone. That's great. And uh, yeah, they're good people. We've got a great team. We love our team and they're doing good work. And again, we love our clients. So that's, and they love our clients, which makes a big difference. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're not a native of, of this part of the country. You're over on the West Coast to Northeast Oregon. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, North, yeah. Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yep. Grew up in Portland and uh, spent most of my life there. Grew up there as a, you know, just a regular kid in a, maybe lower middle class type of environment, maybe maybe a little lower than lower middle class. <laughs> um, but I didn't know that growing yeah, up. Yeah. It was kind of fun. When None you, of us did. No, you kind of just, you just did what you did. And I was fortunate that, I think I, I like the era that I lived in. I was like, I call it kind of one of the last innocent eras before everything took over, you know, the four channels on TV era and the, uh, you know, don't come home until it's dark era. And yeah. mom sends you outside. They don't care where you're at. Just make sure you come home for dinner kind of era. So I grew up in a similar other side of the country, but kind of very similar in South Florida and Miami. And uh, late 70s, early 80s, you kind of just, you know, you try I tell my kid kids, they're always uh, asking me, what was it like way back then? Of course, it doesn't seem way back then to me. But, um, well, we didn't have cell phones. You didn't have the internet. You spent a ton of time outside. Um, and it, it was great. <laughs> yep, yep, you're exactly right. Nothing wrong with today's generation either, but it was, yeah. there were some unique factors that I don't think you can replace. So tell, tell me about your childhood. Did you have siblings, uh, parents? What, what was it like growing up in, in Oregon? Yes. Um, like I said, uh, it was, there was, I had some, some challenges growing up. I mean, um, I have... Uh, had three other siblings and um, we were kind of normal for a while. Um, uh, but um, the normal parts that maybe at least I thought was normal. Um, so here's, here's where the story maybe gets a little complex and mm. try to do a good job. So my, my sister, Michelle and I have the same father bloodline, we'll call it. And then um, my oldest brother had a different father and my youngest sister has a different father. So we have, it's kind of weird from a bloodline perspective, it's different. My, my dad, whose name was Ron Martin, um, left and never saw him. I think probably, I'm, I'm, I don't know the exact date, but it was probably in the four, five, six years of age and never saw him again. Hmm. Um, so there's that kind of weirdness in the family. Um, he just was not a great guy. There's a, a, other stories relative to him that maybe another day we talk about that because that's a whole other chapter. But so I was, you introduced me as Mike Schatz, which is my name, but that was not always my name. My name was Mike Martin and uh, Michael Martin. And my sister's name was Michelle Martin. 
And uh, uh, we were adopted into the shot's name um, when I was about 10, 11 years old. I wasn't really asked that. It just kind of became, hey, we're going to do this family. So you, so your dad left when you were five, six, and then was there a five or six year period? Or was there, what, what was that in yeah. between period? Good question. The, um, yeah, so there was a period of time that my mom remarried Al Schatz, okay. the name that I took. Um, so, yeah, he became essentially my dad, you know, but bloodline's different, different kind of individual. Um, again, they didn't ask me whether I wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, whether I wanted the name or not. It just was, but, it, but I didn't really object to it either. It was like, okay, my friends thought it was really weird that I'd come to school one day as Mike Martin and the next day as Mike Schatz. <laughs> it took a while to get over that, but um, there was not a huge leap in that did, regard. Did you get along and did you love your, your stepfather? Uh that's, that's a loaded question. It's huh? a loaded question. Very different. He was of the spank first and ask questions later generation. Mm-hmm. Um, the yell at you for whatever reason generation. I think, and I think his dad was like that too. And it was kind of just that generation. I'm not sure I fault that so much, but it was, was what it was. So you didn't, there wasn't a lot of like love in that regard. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, he's there. He's the authority and provides and so forth. And we got better as years went on. Um, and not so much now. Mm. So there's a, there's been a, there's been a gap for a while. Is your real father still living? No, the, uh, um, Ron Martin died. Interestingly enough, this is the interesting side story. He was living in Portland all my life. Oh, you didn't know that? Didn't know that. And I did a little ancestry.com thing and found out that he and my grandfather, um, Martin was also living in Portland. Uh, at the time. Hmm. Um, they're from upper state New York. That's most of the Martin clan is from upper state New York. And I spent a little time up there too. I got taken, another side story, I got taken by Ron Martin when I was young, to, uh, not with my mom's permission. And he took me all the way up to upper state New York. And I wow. lived there for a while as a little kid and lived with the Martin clan until she could come and get me back. Mm. So How long was that? I think I was there. I don't, you know, it's funny. I should know that, shouldn't I? But <laughs> I, I think I was there uh, six months to a year. Any um, memories of that time? I have some memories of it. Little glimpses. And I went back and found out what those memories were. Mm. I remember seeing, I'll give you this, the interesting story. I remember seeing um, flashing lights one night as a little kid. And uh, there were, you know, police lights. And I found out um, later when I went up and did a, a Probably about 10 years ago, I went up and visited some of the Martin clan and asked this case whose name was uh, Uncle Judd and Aunt Mary. They were the only part of that family that I knew. And I said, I had this vague memory of flashing lights when I was living at their house. Mm. And they go, I go, do you know what that story was? And they go, yes, I do. It was actually your, your father had, um, had got drunk and uh, my mom had come to retrieve me from Portland mm. and, uh, decided to, it was an altercation. And so, um, my uncle Judd at the time was a sheriff or was in law enforcement. And can I, what can I, can I say words? Like yeah, real absolutely. words on this? Absolutely. So my uncle Judd, you imagine he former later on was a judge. <laughs> he said, um, well, let me tell you what happened. He goes, so your father, you know, hit your mom essentially. Mm. And, um, so we went out, I got what he said, he called the big Swede. And so, you know, that generation called everybody by their racial name without without any angst, right? So he called him the big Swede, and the guy was obviously big and big cop. And they said, we went out to go find your dad. Mm -hmm. And we called him every name we could possibly call him to try to get him to take a swing at us because we were going to beat him up. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't do it as law law officials Mm -hmm. unless he took a swing at them. And they, of course, he wouldn't do it. And so they knew that, you know, he was smarter than that, I guess. But that's the, that was the story behind that. Wow. I was, um, they were out hunting around. And, I'm and you were little, six, seven, eight. Yeah, just enough to have memories of what was going on mm. at that time. Wow. So those are, it was interesting to fill in those blanks later on in life. But yeah. it kind of gave you a, a picture of, you know, that was a weird, the weird part of my early age. I don't, you know, I don't know all the, how it has that affect you as an adult, but sure. probably has some effect, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you, so you grew up, you went to high school, normal high school. Did you play sports or? Yeah, went to high school. I was, I was, in, I was called, the, I was called, I was called the, the middle pick of the, any team. I could play <laughs> any sport, um, but just not be, I'd never the superstar. Probably baseball and hockey were my, no, I would say hockey was probably a sport I liked, but I wasn't that good yeah. at. But 
tennis, baseball, you know, pickup games. But that's what we did, remember? We, yeah, yeah. It was like go out and shoot football. hoops, whatever, yeah. whatever it was. Uh, I played everything and just enjoyed everything. But the best set, probably baseball and those kind of things. Okay. School and play, and, my and then did you go to college? Went to, uh, yeah, went to Multnomah at that time, School of the Bible, sure. uh, now Multnomah University out there. Also went to a junior college, Mount Hood Community College out there, which actually had probably my most interesting life transforming experience at Mount Hood Community College. That, how has it changed me as an individual? Well, you want to talk about that? Well, it was interesting because, you know, the part you come through life, you know, you go through this. And again, I came from a, my mom was awesome. My mom basically, because she divorced, I should say this, she divorced Al Schatz when I was about 12. Hmm. So that ended. And um, so she was a single mom raising us from that point on, you know, pretty much until I was in my late teens and she remarried again. So, um, but I went to Mount Hood Community College after coming through high school and whatnot thinking that I was one person and that where you wanted to be another person. Uh, let's see if I can describe that. So when I was in school, high school, I was an okay student, an okay athlete, um, but also thought I'd like to do other things. I wanted to be, you know, like in student government. I wanted to, I thought I was, had, I wanted to be a leader that I never got a chance to be. And I thought, so you have that thing in you, like I want to do something. So I went to junior college, went to Multnomah too. And it was one of those opportunities where I, there's two things that happened. There was a, and it sounds really trite to some degree, but it was a big change in my life. At that junior college, they had a, they had a student government. It was pretty. It was like twelve thousand students, and you could run for office. And they called them governors, and then you had a student body president. So I thought that's something I'd never done. And I thought, what if I just did that for kicks? And so I ran for this office, and I won the governor, the lieutenant governor, which meant nothing basically. Then you're in the student activities council. But the guy that was the governor, guy that actually had a, I he left. And I took his his role, okay. Which is again, so I got this leadership thing. Like I kind of got this leadership bug. I really liked. And then it was time for elections to come to become student body president of the whole school. And I thought, the guy in high school would have never done that. Yeah, yeah. But in college, I thought this is the new me. What if I ran? And I saw who was running. I thought I think I can beat those people. And so did my little, you know, election thing. And, you know, long story short, I won it. Well, the cool thing about that, you got free tuition and they actually paid you to go to school. You got stipends and you got to travel on behalf of the school and do various government things. So, but the cool thing is I met this guy named Lyle LaPrey. And Lyle LaPrey was this Mormon guy that taught me two things. He taught me how to hug someone because he, he was a hugger. And he hugged me. The first time he hugged me, if you can imagine my hands being down <laughs> to my sides here, yeah. like, what are you doing? Get away from me. Because um, I just wasn't from right. that, that kind of a family. And, and um, um, certainly you didn't learn that from Al Schatz. Didn't learn from Al Schatz. <laughs> didn't learn from, you know, my mom's a loving person, but we didn't, just didn't hug a lot. Yeah. Um, but it was really wild because he believed in me. And he said, mm. you got these leadership skills. And he told me that. And I believed him. And when I really started believing, I thought, man, I can... Maybe I can do bigger things in life than wow. I thought. Because my mom was a migrant worker. You know, she's from S South Texas, and she grew up with you know nine kids in her family, and you know went around picking, you know, fruit around the nation. Mm. And then she became an entrepreneur of her own, starting business and so forth. So, just it's interesting to look at these generational yeah. changes that happen. And I go, man. So for a guy, now, was this guy a student or was he a teacher? He was an associate dean. Associate dean. Okay. He was associate dean in charge of this kind of whole student government okay. reported to him. But um, it was awesome. I mean, I just ran for office. I got to do things, and I just ran. Realized it changed my life. Made me realize that I can do bigger things. And then I had to do the commencement speech, and I'll never forget this because everybody's scared of speaking. Yeah, yeah. Me. And um, imagine this big auditorium, gym kind mm -hmm. of thing, and there's you know four or five thousand people show up. And um, I had to do the thing. So what he did is he said, well, prepare your speech. And then if you can imagine me on a podium and he was in the very back bleacher of the auditorium. And he said, okay, speak without a PA. And so I would get out there and just start doing what I was going to do. And he was in the very back shelf. And so he would make me project. Mm -hmm. He would make me do it. And it was just one of those, again, like, right. wow, okay, you can do something that you never thought you can do. So little tiny stories that don't mean nothing much to oh, a lot yeah. of people, but to me were like moments where I thought, okay, I did that. Maybe I can do yeah. the next thing. But so he really changed your life. Changed my life. And it was, um, again, it was interesting as a, just this, well, the side story of this is I met, became really, really good friends with his son, Sam LaPrey, who's one of my dearest friends in Oregon still right now. And so 
they from a Mormon family were different. Mm-hmm. I was a, you know, just a regular old Christian, new Christian, um, um, relatively new, probably five, six years old in, in my faith, if you will. And um, I would bring Sam and my buddies to church. All these guys didn't go to church or hated church. And I'd bring them and say, come on, man, come to church. And it wasn't a dynamic church either. It was really a quite boring church. But I was pumped about my relationship with the Lord. And so I'd just, come on, man, just come anyway. And, and so the cool thing is fast forward years later, both those guys late in life um, have become Christ followers. Mm. And it, just, did he convert from Mormonism or? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So fun. So, so again, is his father still living or? He's not. He passed away. Sure. But to me, he was just an amazing mentor and a man that just That's was amazing. Awesome. And I loved I love fantastic. Yeah. It, that, what a what a great story about how um, you can change people's lives, even in the little things. Yep. So you graduated college, then what'd you do? So that point on, um, you know, I didn't, I was never a guy that knew what the heck I was going to do. <laughs> Join I mean, the club. Yeah. And I know I see my kids now, you know, what am I supposed to do? Where I got, and I got shoot, took me forever to figure out what it was, but I had a little bit of the mark, the marketing bug early on. So I got this, met this friend, this, I was at a, out at a camp. I worked at a camp as a counselor in training one year mm-hmm. and I was like 17, 18 mm-hmm. years old. And basically that was like almost like just manual labor. And every once in a while you got to work with the kids. But we basically cut trails, bucked hay, mm. you know, cleaned this, fixed that. That was right. the, we were the crew. But but it was a magical summer. Mm. Um, again, from a guy that never went to camp much growing up, didn't have that kind of money, to be in a camp environment was just awesome. So long story short, um, just a, a magical summer. But there was a particular guy named Don Jacobson who was the – at that time, the counselor and training leader. And the, being in the small world it was, we just got, he was, he was new, newly married and he was our guy. And he just told me one day, he goes, someday if I ever get in a position to hire you, I'm going to hire you. And, and when you're 17, 18, you're like, and that's before college and everything else. And I thought, that's fun. That's cool. Well, fast forward, when I got done with my schooling, he was the marketing director at a place called Multnomah Press. It was mm-hmm. the early publisher publishing mm-hmm. company. And he said, hey, I want to hire you. And so it was my first job was in the marketing department at that company. And it was my first chance to That's great. get involved in marketing. And it really has, that was really the genesis. Of like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. So you were there working in Oregon. Tell me about your, you're obviously married with a family now. What was, the, was that shortly after or mm-hmm. how, tell me that story. Yeah, so my, um, yeah, while I was in college, I met my wife, Sarah, and um, she um, she's a great lady, married 33 years now, mm-hmm. um, I think, 33, 32, <laughs> somewhere that, right in that zone. And uh, yeah, we met there. Um, uh, she's an amazing woman, and I just think we just were so different and yet so mm-hmm. compatible. Yeah. Um, I have, um, you know, two living children and one that's passed. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good marriage. Um, like every marriage, it's got its ups and downs, but mostly ups. And how'd you end up in Nashville in this part of the world? Um, God, it's weird. How, it's weird how the world. I mean, it's just funny. Um, I'll leave a chapter out, but ended up starting a um, record label with some guys in Portland, um, mm. and a guy that was um, very wealthy, and he wanted to start a record label in Portland. I knew I was from Portland. I was living in Texas when I got the call to say, "Hey, would you come join us and start this company?" And uh, worked with those guys for about seven years. And so while we were in Portland, we had an office in. Franklin mm. as well. Of course, you know, we're in Music City, so artists and A&R, you know, finding artists. Well, and, do you mind me asking what the name of that label was? Uh, it was called Pamplin Records, okay, yeah, Pamplin, yeah. Pamplin Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And we did, we did video things and we did a, you know, it was just, it was a fun ride. We had a distribution company. We had, did, did pretty well. We owned stores out in the Northwest. We owned radio stations and we owned distribution company and ran record labels. So I was the executive vice, vice president of, of, of several of those ventures, all the music ventures and distribution ventures and whatnot. And um, so I got to be very familiar with Nashville at that time. And then when time came, that shut down, I left there. I ended up um, deciding, hey, where do I want to move? Where do I think my business can go? Uh, where I can, I can make the most impact, I can come here. And we also decided, though, at the same time, when we moved out here, we said uh, a friend of mine and I from Portland, area from Oregon, decided we we're going to start some coffee shops. And we started two uh, coffee shops called Maximo Joe's Coffee, yep. and, and they failed miserably. <laughs> uh, that was a terrible. We you can laugh about it now. Oh <laughs> yes, I'm still. I'm still. Oh, you still can't. I'm laugh still about digging it. out. Yeah, a little tear of the laugh. 
but um, yeah, we lost a bundle on that one, mm. and um, and uh, we opened them in two thousand and eight, which most people remember two thousand eight oh, pretty yeah. well. Bad timing, interesting idea. I remember that coffee shop though; it was really good. Thank you. Yeah, we made a you good had a great drive through, a good fun fun drive through, and uh, we liked what we were doing, but we just we just um, couldn't we couldn't get it to go in that economy and in this market, so we ended up running out of money and shutting it down, and off we went to the next venture. Yeah, well. You mentioned um, you have, that you had, you had three kids and uh, two living. Um, I guess this is a part of the story where you know you told me before we started recording that you had not shared this at all. So um, this is something that you and I have talked about off the record, obviously, quite a bit. Um, talk to me about your kids, in, in all three of them, if you would, and let's kind of start going down that road a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I will um, mess you up. Um, I'm sorry. The, um, yes, I have, so I have three. My oldest is um, Courtney, and she's a great kid. She's in her um, upper 20s now and lives here in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. Uh, always been my straight-A student, an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sink first kid. Yep. Just, you know. Firstborn. Knows where she's going, went to school, did great, graduated from college, all those good things, and just a good-hearted girl um still single if anybody's out there looking for i need, I need a good son-in-law no, no chumps no um, chumps so uh but she's sweet and uh we love her very much i'm glad she's here in the area and then uh my in middle son is cameron he lives out in phoenix area he's mm. an auto technician also looking at some other opportunities right now he's a the, he's the passionate kid in our family he's uh he's fun to be around Loves people, good people person. I mm. uh, wasn't always a very good student. So he's a, your middle child. He's my middle guy, okay. and uh, and very much like me. I see a lot of how I was when I was his age, and I think I consider him a better version than me in many respects. Yeah. But um, but we have similar likes and similar hilarities in many respects. And then Cole is my youngest. And he's the one that was that's okay. no longer with us, and that's a that's mm. a super. So how long is that? That's yeah. uh, four years ago. Four years ago. Yeah. Um, can you frame for me and people listening leading up to to that horrible day and, and you will get into what happened, but um, talk to me about Cole. What what was yeah. he like and yeah. you know, what what was his journey in his life? Yeah. He was, you know, so interesting that you know, when you raise all your kids under the same roof, you think, well, would they just kind of turn out all that? Now you're yeah. you're thinking about your I'm sure your kids are different and yeah. it's amazing. Raise them the same way, same thing. They're all very different. Food. And they're all very different. Can be very opposite, actually. Super opposite. So, yeah, whereas, you know, Courtney Driver, type A, you know, kind of a, someone who's going to roof all her, but, you know, Cam, kind of like, you know, you know, almost an F you kind of guy. Right, right. Doesn't agree with you, you know, too bad. A strong-willed, but super soft heart. Cole was my artist. He mm. was more of the, he was the soft-spoken one. Musician or no. draw? Or? Draw, yeah. He loved yeah. Uh, he loved art. Um, he was the uh, non-athlete, you know, um, mm-hmm. Uh, he was the, the quiet, gentle, fun, witty kid, you know, when you got talking to him. He was also one that would ask you questions about yourself. I love that about him. And just was that just but just a yeah, soft hearted guy. Um, also, um, physically, he was very skinny mm-hmm. growing up, uh, became very tall. He was gosh, he was six one ish, mm-hmm. you know, um, and um, but just really a fun, but also an introverted child. Hmm. And um, just a, a lot like he and his sister had a lot of similarities. They got along very closely. Um, brother, uh, you know, brothers, they had, they had some rubs now and then, but they, they loved each other too. But him and Courtney were, were tight. They, were, they had similar mindsets, similar personalities, similar senses of humor. And so there mm. was a, it was fun watching them mm. engage each other as well. And um, would you say you and Cole were close or? Yeah, I think I'm close to all my kids. Okay. I think we always, I mean, I really kind of swinging the pendulum and you go back in time when I like my upbringing, I didn't want to raise a family where I didn't hug him. Yeah. I didn't want to raise a family where I didn't tell him I loved him. I didn't That's want to raise great. a family that, you know, that didn't know that I was in their life and I cared. I wanted to go to their football game. I want to go to their basketball. I want to go whatever they were doing. I wanted to be at because that's not my experience. And that was a stab at my parents so much, but that was, you know, from their busyness or just couldn't get there or whatever the case is. I, I really missed that growing up. I missed those Looking in the stands and seeing your parents there it wasn't wasn't very often, so um, so for me I wanted to go be the opposite of that. Yeah, I and so to be that guy. I know you and I have talked about this. You feel like Cole started going down the road of, of depression. Mm-hmm. Do, when looking back now, when do you, do you 
Can you pinpoint when that started or was there a catalyst or? Yeah, I'm, I have much, much regret still. And, uh, and some guilt that I'm trying to get over the, because I didn't recognize it very well. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a positive guy mm-hmm. and you know, being brought up with a generation like, you know, you just bootstrap it. Yeah, man. roll you know, with if it. You're, if you're mm-hmm. bummed. And it wasn't like, like I, you know, I would tell one to him and say, hey, you know, you know, get off your butt and let's just, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, we didn't, nor did my wife. But we didn't recognize it right. very well. We were ignorant. Mm-hmm. And that's painful to think that your ignorance might have, you could have done something different. But how old was he when he passed? 16. So the, so the thing that you look at, Bob, is you look at, I, we were, I'll give you the story how it, we were outside on a May day and it was hot like it is around here. And we were mowing the lawn. He and I mowed the lawn together. He became my chief lawnmower, but I was out doing some yard work and, you know, he was just being his, that's himself. But um, I noticed some scratches on his arms. Mm. And I go, hey, where'd you get those? And he goes, oh, I was at my friend's house, and he's got a dog. But, you know, I know what a dog scratch looks like. So I go, those don't look like dog scratches. And he goes, and his head dipped down. And he goes, he just, he wouldn't say anything. I go, Cole, what are, what are those? And then he goes, and I just said, are you cutting yourself? And he goes, yeah. And I, I lifted up his sleeve, and on his bicep, there might have been a hundred cuts mm-hmm. that he'd been hiding. I was one he always he would always wear long sleeve shirts. Who knows how many cuts he'd been doing? It. So it told me they were scarred over. He'd been doing it for a long time. So I'm going, how do I not see this? And it just tore me up. So we're sitting on my deck. He breaks down and says, I'm just so sick of, you know, girls not liking me and and People tell me things that, about myself that I don't like. And it really, it was my first moment of my kid is in trouble. You know, I look back now and this, whew, this painful time now. So it was, it was hard mm. to see your kid that you think is quiet, and, you know, but to see him just like out of control is too, mm. and I'm a fixer. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, let's, let's go. So I asked him, I said, we. I didn't judge him. I just said, man, I, I'm so sad for you. And I'm so, I'm, and I said, I want to help you. Will you let me help you? Will you trust me? And he said, yeah, dad, I'll trust you. So we started on a journey from there. And we t- I took him to a, you know. And how old was he at that point? Still 16. Okay, you know, so the same year. Yep. And I took him uh, to a counselor. So I'm, I'm calling around. Like, you know, again, what, who do you talk to? What do you do? Where do you go? I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. That's a bad experience as Bob. It was like, I called my church and I still have a grudge with this guy. He doesn't even know he'll go unnamed, but I called, he was supposed to be in charge of this area, Mm kind of like counseling. And I called and said, here's the situation. And he just, it was like, he just didn't give a shit. Mm. Now I'm going to call him on a bad day, Yeah, but it was like, well, you can call, you know, here's some numbers you can call. And uh, they might, you know, but it was like, it was like clinical. Like, yeah, here, here it is. Like I called a government office. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm on my own. So now I'm, you know, my wife's, of course, upset and I'm trying to find. So finally, you know, you dig around, you find someone that says, oh, this guy's probably good. And so we got him into counseling. And um, so I'm hopeful. He's, and I would drop him off every week and I let him there. And, and the guy says, you know, yeah, he's doing great. And I asked Cole, I said, yeah, I'm getting better. I said, I'm always asking how are your thoughts? Cause you know, have, have you had thoughts about taking your life? Yeah. And, um, so I'm asking about those thoughts His mom's talking to him here and there, but we're both on pins and needles, man. We're, we're scared. We're scared. We're scared every, every minute after that. Mm. Is he gonna, what's he gonna do? And so months go past. He's going to counseling. Going to counseling. I'm picking him up one day, and this counselor says, walks out with him and says, hey, now he's doing really well, and I don't know that we need to see each other that much anymore. So I'm kind of like, wow, really? I'm, and I, literally, I, mean, I think I said those, really? That's great. And I look at Cole, and I said, yeah, are you done? He goes, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm actually doing really well. And I go, I'm looking at the counselor like, okay, all right, well, we'll just hold off, I guess, mm. for a while. And it wasn't but a couple months after that he took his life. Mm. So, so he he had stopped seeing and talking to anyone professionally at that point. 
Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, he's smart. He just didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't want to, he didn't want to go into counseling. He didn't want to do it. But I have a, I have a huge grudge over the counseling industry. Yeah. You know, Cause I'm thinking yeah, like, can dude, you're supposed to be the one that sees through this crap. You're supposed to be the one that understands this. So, uh, for quite a while, I've just thought counseling is just a bunch of crap. I mean, yeah. I really have just like, I have no respect for the industry. Yeah. I've changed a little bit on that. But sure. from that point, and another one of those guys that if I saw him on the street, it'd be hard for me to look him in the eye, if not yeah. drop him. Yeah. So, um, but I've got to get over those things, <laughs> you know, but what, yeah. what, um, I mean, I can't imagine I have three children of my own and I know the, the, the pain even sitting here thinking and contemplating that, um, I mean, can you even describe the feelings? Mm. Well, there's a there's a series of feelings. You know, the night you get a call at one a.m. in the morning from a friend of Coles that says calls you on your landline. Thankfully, we still had a landline then, and she says we need to go check on Cole. You know, you're so you're you're woken up by the phone, and you're like, oh my gosh, she's been talking to him on his mobile phone. Was he home? He was home, and. The rest is a nightmare, mm. just a absolute nightmare to be able to go back in that, mm. that moment is just brutal, man, to, to go in and go, sheesh, open the door mm. and there's your sunlight on the floor, mm. you know, and it's, it's, it's the most horrifying thing you can ever imagine. And it's dramatic and it's yeah. the worst. And it's, um, yeah, I don't, any parent, you know, you know, no matter how you lose your kids, yeah. parent. But when your son's murderer is himself, mm. it's even worse. Yeah. I think. Not, yeah. I don't know. Worse. It's just. It's just like you don't know where to go. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. don't know where to go. And he he lived for a few days, right? Or yeah, we were in the trauma unit here for a couple of days, right? Okay. And uh, you know, you're up there at the Bandy trauma unit, just living in this surreal world. Wondering if your kid will ever come out of this coma, and in your heart, knowing he just did something catastrophic to his brain. Yeah, you're trying to say, you know, what, and, were, and, what were those two days like for oh, you and your, and your wife? I mean, did you have friends go around? Did you have family? Yeah. Did you have? Yeah, we did. We did. We were fortunate to have some friends. I, my buddy Don Jacobson flew in from Oregon. He was a, a rock. He was with me in the trauma. I needed. My wife was as as you would expect. Just. Diff, we were both struggling, but I needed, she couldn't walk into some of the rooms. She couldn't sign the, when you're signing papers about stuff, you know, mm. this medical stuff, I mean, you're just like, yeah, you just want to, you want to throw things and tear things and, you know, punch things and you've got to sign papers and be objective and in, in moments like that. So to have a guy sit next to you, just going like hand on shoulder, like, yeah, just keep going, man. You know, so yeah, we did. We had, but you also interesting. Maybe says if you ever get in this place as someone to support that. You're also telling people that because a lot of people want to help you. Yeah, and you have to say, I just can't see you, man. Just yeah. thank you. Just let me just keep it to the small group because I can't, I can't work with you right now. I just yeah, can't. Yeah. So you have that going on. But a lot of gear carrying people. But I'll tell you a story that I think is really important for people to hear because it's not a good story. While we're there. I think I told you this, Bob. Um, so I get a call that says, hey, there's these guys that are praying for you and you need to talk to them. And I get this call and I, I say, so when you're in that mode, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. You want me to jump off the roof? You want me to, you know, I'm going to do what I get. But they're saying, hey, they, they see a miracle coming and they need to talk to you. So I get these, never met these guys, but it came from a source. So I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to them. I'm on the phone. They say, hey, we're so-and-so and so-and-so. We just see Cole getting out of bed and we see Cole, you know, rising up from this moment. He's going to be, because of this, he's going to be a better. All you got to do is pray over him and it's all going to be yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking, so what do you do? Yeah. You, so you, go, go and you do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And guess what happens? <laughs> He doesn't get up. Mm-hmm. What, did that, what did that do to your faith? Oh. I, it didn't do, it was, I didn't blame that on Jesus. Right. 
I blamed that on two stupid individuals, right. you know, and I blamed it on their training mm. and their thing because I'm a believer that God can definitely do miracles, but he doesn't always do it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times he, and if he was probably said it, I'll say it, the majority of times he doesn't perform the miracles that we want him to perform. People that have cancer and die and young children that, you know, have get diseases and every day, every day of the week. Yeah. Go, go abroad. I, I travel abroad in Haiti and other places. And I see travesty all over the world. He doesn't always do it that way. Mm. Don't know why. So Maybe he can. That made you even more angry. Super angry. So you're already angry. Angry, angry, angry. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, angry. I'm bringing up. Anger was my number one mm. outcome of, during that, that time. I was, if, if you honked at me on the wrong way, I was ready to drop gloves. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and just take anybody. I was so angry. At the How was your wife? What was her main emotion during this time? She's a not anger. She was, yeah, I guess I would say that she was angry at Cole. Mm. You know, like kind of the, and she, cause she loved him deeply, of course. And so. So wasn't mm-hmm. as much angry at herself or at anyone else, but at him. A little bit at him. Yeah. And Got I think it. I'm sure at, you know, we've, We've been, it's interesting, four years later, we, we still haven't gone as deep as we should with each other. Hmm. We still have a tough time of going there. Was it, uh, this is a, probably a dumb question, but what kind of strain did it put on your marriage? That's, it is, it's a great question, actually, because my understanding is that most marriage, most, this happens in families, it's a very high propensity that you're going to get divorced. Um, we didn't, and we haven't, and I love her more. And... Um, it's because we didn't blame each other. Yeah. We didn't. And, and, um, yeah. You gotta understand, um, I'm the guy that bought the gun that my kid killed himself with. Mm. So when you carry that, my wife could have said, you're the guy that bought the gun that he killed himself with. That alone, if she said that to me, I could have never. I, I couldn't be talking to you right now. Yeah. I don't know what I'd done. I probably just left the, left everything I have and go live some some hut somewhere because mm. it's just it's that devastating. You mm. got to get over that yourself. Yeah, you know. But there was never never that. There was never a moment of you did this wrong and I did that wrong because we we learned you know depression's wicked and ugly and evil. Yeah. And um, you know that the night that Cole took his life, he had been coming off of a great time. He was with his friends. It was a fall break and he had to have a blast he had come back i mean happy and what i later found out is that's not unusual for depressed people that they get this real high because they're like they just crash and they crash and it's the crash is so deep they go i don't want to i just don't want to live yeah and they can go from that to that overnight that's we think that's that's exactly what happened so here you are you're burying your 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 baby child your last one right um, four years ago, what do you do then? Every year is different. I call year one of his passing the year of irrationality. You live in this false world and I'm, I'm so thankful. I've got business partners that are, that are just good people because mm. we had just started the business too. And, um, they walked through that with me in a, in the best possible way. I didn't know them that well. We had been friends for years. We just were business partners, but they became deep friends and their families became deep friends because they had to walk through that with me and they did it with such grace and covering me. It was awesome. So, um, I forget what your question was. Well, what, what was it? What was it like? What was that first year like? Oh yeah. So dude, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could walk down a Costco aisle mm. and if I saw some hot cocoa mix, I would fall and go into tears because he liked hot cocoa. Mm. The triggers were everywhere. Every time you, anything that remotely looked like, or things that Cole loved or hated, literally, he, um, you couldn't, it would just break, break me down. So I was constant, this constant, I call it constant, because I was having to still be in business. I was go from smiling and talking with people and then being in my car sobbing and trying to keep, get it, keep it together. How, how did your other two children? Uh, he struggled really yeah. hard. Yeah, again, Cam being more the emotional one, and he, he, this tells you a lot. He, you know, 
punched a hole through one of our walls and our house and the wall wasn't hollow, mm. <laughs> broke his hand. Um, he had some fits of rage that he went through. That was his reaction. Courtney was more in internal and it actually scares me more. Yeah. yeah. Cam's, Cam puts it out there. Courtney keeps it in, but um, they've come through. Uh, they're yeah. both been in counseling. Yeah. Do it. And so it's, uh, of course, as you tell me, <laughs> you guys go back of the story, uh, but I'm glad they are. Yeah. And I think it's helping them. That's good. And um, yeah. So, so you said the year one was the year of, yeah. of what irrationality. irrationality. Year two and three, did you have? Yeah, it gets, it gets better, um, but not, it's just, you live in a cloud. Someone described it, I wish I could remember exactly, because it was such an accurate description. Everything you do, if, if life in your best days is a 10, you never get to have tens. Your best, happiest moments, you might get to a six. Mm. It's like you get a ceiling on your joy or your happiness because mm. it's always there. There's always this like right, never goes away, never goes away. And each year it gets a little better, but as you can tell, sitting here talking to you, yeah, yeah, I'm it's only been up. four years. Yeah, what I mean, what does that look like? I know we've talked about this. How do you sit in a church and how do you talk about a loving God? Does you know? I've I've seen. I've seen people go through this and totally chuck their faith. I've seen people go through it and cling to their faith. It only deepens their faith. But it seems like to me, um, you know, that would really rock your world and your idea of what God is and how he does things. And talk to me about that. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty accurate, Bob. I think I learned that God's not the rescuer. That mm. I thought he was going to potentially could be. I didn't, ex- you know, I want him to go. I don't expect him to fix my son's catac- catastrophic injury, self-inflicted. On the other hand, you go, but I know you could, right? And so you're going, are you going to come through? Right? Are you going to do it? And so part of you is saying he could and would, and, and he doesn't. So you're, you you kind of go. So what does that feel like it's, when it's, you hear people say? God is my rescuer and he's done these miraculous uh, dude, things I, in my I, life. I, there are a lot of worship songs go there mm. and I don't, I just don't agree with them. Mm. I don't, I, cause I don't think the rescue he talks about is generally talking about this rescue. I think it's the, talking about the rescue from this life into the, the new life that we get to go to. I'm a mm. big believer that the next life and go to call it heaven, call it the new earth, whatever you, I, that's why Jesus died for us. And mm. I think that's what this, this life is sucky. Mm. This life, and as Americans, most of it's not sucky, right? <laughs> right, right. But it can be really bad, right? Um, and um, I don't. So my hope is not here at all. My hope is a hundred percent on what I get mm. to go to, and that I get to see Cole again. Mm. That's my greatest hope. And I'll tell you, you asked me about my faith. I wasn't sure, right, whether I'd see Cole again. Mm. Cole was not this, you know, youth group. I love Jesus, kid. He just wasn't. Mm. He was searching. He wasn't against God. He didn't hate God, but he just wasn't there. He wasn't the guy that accepted the four spiritual laws. You know, he wasn't that kid. And so part of you is thinking, is he going to be there? <laughs> and here's the beef that I had with the Lord yeah. for four years is that as a loving father, I would pray every single day. Just let me know he's with you. Mm. That's all I want you to do. Nothing else. Just let me know he's with you. I pray it every day, sometimes several times. I still pray it. Mm. Just let me know you got him. I, those are the words I use. Mm. Just let me know you got him. Guess what? Mm. He's never let me know. Mm. And so you carry that and you go, maybe he's not there. Maybe I'll never see him. Mm. And it rocks your faith, man. Mm. You know, and when you read certain parts of scripture, you read the Job story, you know, that God says, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and do his, do your thing. Yeah. I mean, he's a mysterious God. Mm. And it, it does do rock you, your do faith. Do you find any comfort in, in, in the words of Jesus or in the words of of what we read that God is always loving and that he will always do what is most loving and that your son 
um, is loved by him. Yeah, I've come to that, absolutely that conclusion. There's two things that have happened that I had to go back on that have confirmed that I have a true hope that I will see my son again. And um, one was um, the night of when I'm holding my son's head. And this is graphic and painful to tell you, but I'm holding him where there's a hole and trying to keep blood in his head. And I'm talking to him. His eyes are open. And I'm saying, I love you. Mom loves you. And he's looking, not responding. And I'm just saying, I, you know, that's my last moments with him. And I'm telling him everything I can possibly tell him for those eyes closed. And uh, I say, and I said this one thing. I said, you know, Jesus loves you too. And the only time he moved his head was when I said that. Mm. It was a nod up and down. Mm. A part of me says, was that a reaction? You got this rational side that says maybe that was just, but he didn't do it for anything else. Mm. And I thought, looking back, oh, maybe that was God saying, I got him. Yeah, of course. And then I realized as a father, like mm-hmm. you are, and many of the people might listen to this, if I love my kid as much as God loves me and he loves my kid, yeah, he's not going to condemn yeah, absolutely. Him. He's not going to condemn Absolutely. Him. So I truly believe now and have great hope. And it's really in, the, in year four, it has changed me dramatically. It has allowed me to, to sleep better. It has allowed me to go. I have true hope. I can't wait. Mm. I'm not going to rush it <laughs> to get there, but I can't wait for the day. Mm. And, it's, and I believe that. I believe that. And I believe people that have seen their, their families, the young kids, yeah. it's, it's rampant, right? In yeah, America. Absolutely. They're just not wise. And, they, and also the, um, this depression bug is wicked and ugly. And, um, hey, what would you say to, the, to parents who, or mom or dad or anyone listening to this who is either struggling with depression or has kids that they suspect? What, what, yeah. what can you say to them yeah. looking back? Man, I'll tell you what, I, looking back. Um, Not that you would have done anything different, because well, it sounds like you did all you were supposed to. I, I would have done stuff different. Okay. Um, what I found out now is I'd get my kid to a psychiatrist. I'd find out if it was a chemical imbalance. Mm. I wouldn't go to this, you know, counselors are counselors. Right. Psychiatrists come in and look at it from two angles, right? And some people are like, wow, it just, you know, those drugs are bad. But I, I got friends, you probably do too, that use whatever sure. they need to do to balance them out. And it doesn't make them worse people. Some people just have chemical imbalances that are messed them up. And I think, I think my kid had a chemical imbalance. That's my, mm. my thing. And if he had taken a little pill, wow. Mm-hmm. Is he here right now? Maybe. Yeah. And so I go, that's what I wished I would have done. I wish I'd have been smart. I wish I'd have known that. Um, and again, so I would say, <laughs> I'd say what I do now I'd probably call someone that, like me, that's been through it and say, tell me what I should do. Yeah. Because we know what that looks like now. How's your wife doing now, four years into it? I think it's okay for me to talk about this. Um, and, don't, and don't talk about it if, yeah. if it's... Well, she, I think it's okay. Um, she, she's doing better. Um, she, uh, strangely, um, she had an eating, I'll call it an eating disorder, where she would, we, we thought it was something different. She would get literally hungry. You know, I'd have a steak dinner. Right. And an hour later, it was like she hadn't eaten all day. Wow. That's what happened every day of the week. So it wasn't like she was not eating. <laughs> no, unfortunately, she's a Zumba teacher and she ate well. She didn't eat, you know. All right. Although she probably weighed 300 pounds. Um, but she, we could never figure it out. It was like, what in the world? Clinical doctors, oh, you're fine. You just work out too much. We're going, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're something. I call them a name. They were just like, they didn't know. So we could never figure it out. So then one day, light went on. I was like man, I wonder if this goes back to, mm. and we kind of traced it back in time before Cole passed, but it was during the anxiety. Yeah, it was anxiety. And so she went to a psychiatrist, a doctor, and they went to this, I was getting, you know the name of it, EMDR. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, this is what soldiers do, yeah. trauma. Yeah. And uh, it's helped her a lot. That's great. Yeah, That's I'm great. Gonna, I'm going to do it myself in one of these Good. I want to go. I got to. I've had good friends that have had good success with that. Yeah, I'd recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, wrapping this up, um, I sense uh, slivers of light coming through this brokenness. I I sense um, 
hope in you since I've known you. Um, what would you say on the other side of this four years now? You know, it, you've got you've got a, a ceiling now to your joy that you said that you, you you still I think struggle with anger to some degree. But but as you look at it, as you look uh, as most people would not be able to find any hope or any joy or any 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 light that could break through this. What what could you see in that? Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? Well, I'm a man of faith, mm-hmm. and so um, I'm still a big fan and believer in Jesus. Most days. Most days. <laughs> uh, um, I, I believe what he said and the promises that he said that he gave to us, um, and which gives me great hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he's mysterious. God's mm-hmm. mysterious. I don't um, claim. That's okay. It's okay. I'm good with that. Um, a friend of mine, Hugh Halter, I love him. He's a good man. He's... He said, you know, he goes, he, we were talking about this subject and he says, you know, yeah, God's, you, you know, Jesus is sticky. You never, he, you couldn't get away from him, could you? Mm. And I go, yeah, I really couldn't because I wanted to run from everything. Yeah. Because he just, he just couldn't get away. And I go, that's pretty true. So I think it's for me, and I can't say that everybody, I think that God is for us. Um, but you kind of have to have your understanding of who God is to right. get you through it. If you got a bad understanding, you think he's going to come and rescue the day on and anything that you do, you're going to be disappointed. He's, that's that's that isn't who that isn't who he said he is. It doesn't. That's not that's not accurate. So I think my take would be I had to go back and study a little bit of like who is this, who is this God that I serve, who is this God that I believe in. And there's a lot of stuff I I, I question still, but but not but the parts that I care about, mm-hmm. you know, the parts that the apostles died for. Mm-hmm. They were. They saw this guy do what he said, and I, I'm a big believer that it's all legit. And um, but but I but I don't like the I, I hate anything false. All the there's a bunch of stuff that in the I'll call yeah. it in the church. It's just it reeks of stink, and I don't like it. And I, I yeah. kind of see through it quickly. But I also go, we're just a bunch of messed up people too. You know, one of the things that I've learned um, is that. When you're willing to let go of certainty in your life and in your faith, um, that opens up a very scary door of uncertainty and mystery. And yet I find that that's where the real deep knowing begins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's an author that I've read and it, it's always stuck with me. He said, true transformation and true knowing of, of the unknown God only happens in one of two ways through great love or through great pain. Mm-hmm. And, um, it sounds like you're on that journey and you're still traveling it. Yeah, no doubt. It's a journey. Yeah. And I definitely, I'm still trying to figure this out. You know, and it's good to talk to you. Like I said, yeah. said I, I just don't, People, I'm not afraid to talk about it, but I'm also, but I'm afraid of, like when I told you, you know, I'm waiting for God to say I got him. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know that God works that way, and so I have to kind of just go either believe, yeah, or you don't, and and if you don't, you walk away, and yeah. I don't think that's the best answer, but I understand why people might. Sure, sure. You know? Well. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your heart. Um, I know this was not easy, um, but I believe that it will be a comfort and hopefully a help and a hope to, to someone listening. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Mike.